Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics, which are going to educate and empower others. And give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, friends. Hello. We are. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We are just like fully in it. And I feel like this school year has already gone by like so, so fast. But we're in this zone where if you have a student who is on the older end, you might be already thinking about transitions, transitions post high school, transitions, even maybe post folk ed program if you're in the 18 to 22. And so we're really excited today to kind of dive into the topic of programs for students outside of the school setting. So we're really excited to have Robert here. Robert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, uh, it's Robert Ferrari, Executive Director with Gateway Center of Monterey County. Perfect. Can you tell us a little bit about you, your background and Gateway? Absolutely. So I'll start with me just a little bit. I have been in the nonprofit space pretty much all of my adult life, all of my career. Started working with uh, YMCA's Boys and Girls Clubs, after school care programs, and then sort of moved on, um, you know, also taking a stop of running a, uh, a fairly local Habitat for Humanity affiliate for seven years, which was oh, great. Yeah. yeah. And then went from there to do fo- residential foster care for kids with emotional disabilities and have landed at Gateway Center of Monterey County just a tad under four years ago. Uh, one of the reasons I was brought in and was very excited was to go out to the community and tell them about this great program we have here in Monterey County. And then uh, a week and a half later, we we closed the doors and, and we shuttered in place with our residential programs and put all of our other programs on Zoom. But uh, this past year, I've been able to get out and, and really work with the community to tell about this great little jewel. Um, Gateway Center of Monterey County is celebrating 60 years of providing high quality residential and day programs for the developmental disabled. Um, now adults. But the interesting thing about Gateway Center is it started a little over 60 years ago when a group of parents who had no services for their toddlers, preschoolers, just formed a coalition of parents and worked with our local school district and um, adult school center and started programs for them. And then as those kids got a little bit older, they, it became Gateway became a school-age program. And then... Uh, right middle school program, and then a high school program, and then for the last 40 years has been an adult program. So the program, uh, the agency itself sort of grew with these folks, and rather than have them move on and start with a a new set of people, it was more as um, it kept evolving with the folks in need and brought others along with them. So um, we've been serving adults now for about 60 years in different programs, residential programs, day programs, and an amazing program that we started up about five years ago in partnership with the Pacific Grove Adult School called Without Walls, which is for our younger folks who have aged out of the school system. That's wonderful. You know, we deal so much with students, you know, even our clients where, you know, they're leaving high school and there's just not that many options. Like Mm -hmm. most of the school district (laughs) programs are 
so minimal. And then, you know, down here in, in Southern California, there's unfortunately not very many voc ed programs, not even just the 18 to 22, and then certainly nothing past 22, mm-hmm. you know, once. So even if a student does get into an appropriate program from 18 to 22, once they hit 22, you know, I know a lot of colleges now are st- starting to become more and more programs, some of them yeah. being like right. residential, some being day programs, but there's just not enough of these programs out there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons they started this program. My predecessor worked with the adult school to start this program because we were getting a lot of references and referrals of folks who were very young. And the parents were very concerned that once they finished high school or once they hit their mm-hmm. sort of... uh hit the cliff at age 22, there was really very little for them to do. And these were very bright, social, young people who had a lot of capacity, but no place to go. So our program is set up for that. I would say that almost 100% of them are on the spectrum, um, but very brilliant folks. And they do a lot of um, activities, a lot of field trips. They volunteer for our local uh, Monterey Aquarium. They go to our local community college twice a week and are always out and about in the community, either doing beach cleanups or taking trips to different museums. And in the in between, there they they have classes at the adult center and they do a lot of art. We have some really great artists who are able to sort of uh, display some of the things that's in their head, and they are able to put it on canvas, and it's really incredible. We this past the early spring, we had an art uh, exhibit in our town here at Pacific Grove that went really, really well. And our our students were very proud of of their work. But yeah, the other thing about, you know, not only providing them the life skills they need, education Mm -hmm. as far as they want to go, but really they have this sort of camaraderie of a group of folks who have very similar sort of situations and capacities Mm -hmm. and they just bond, you know, they have a sense of self, but they have a sense of their friends that are still having the same challenges. And some of the folks I sort of kid with, it's like, you know, these folks have a brilliant minds, but when you see them in the classroom, it's really cool in a way that they're very open and honest with each other. They don't yes. have to think about things. They can just say what's on their mind because mm-hmm. they know the person who they're talking to is going to say the same thing and they get each other. Right. And so yeah. it's a really safe space for them to not only mm-hmm. explore all the issues that are out in the world that they want to learn about, but a real safe space for them to sort of bring their baggage and bring their the things that they know of and really sort of tease them out in a really safe space. And our staff then sort of fills, facilitates those conversations so that so in the end, everyone has a better understanding of not only each other, but the other things that are going outside of their classroom. Yeah. Well, in a sense of community, right? And Absolutely, I think yeah. Being able to not feel othered, which a lot of our kiddos if they do make it through the public school system and, you know, come out the other side, potentially with a diploma, maybe they're doing the transitional service. It, oftentimes there's so much that's lacking, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it doesn't feel like community. It kind of feels just like more school. And it sounds like the programming and of course it comes from parents, right? Absolutely. <laughs> that was one of the reasons that we started the podcast is to start these conversations, but really to have parents acknowledge that change unfortunately has to come from them, right? Mm-hmm. And the, and some of the best private schools around us were founded by parents, non-public schools, and they change and they grow as the kiddos do. And, and so 
to have Gateway be 60 years old. I mean, that is incredible. So yeah. yeah. The way that it's transitioned itself, I'm sure. Oh, has yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Do you, yeah. since you've had, you know, such an array of experience, like working kind of in the nonprofit world, not just with Gateway, do you have a sense of like why there aren't more programs like this? You know, I think it has to be a lot of synergy from parents, the school district, agencies, nonprofits like Gateway, and in California, our regional centers. We have a really great partnership with our regional center, which is San Andreas Regional mm-hmm. Center. Oh, it okay. really takes all four of those components to make mm-hmm. this just excel. Everybody has to come to the table. It has to have a voice. Right. And then once the sort of, in this case, once that program was was started and started being developed, it wasn't like, oh, here it is in a box, make this, you know, everybody fit this. It was because uh, we really do strive to be very person-centered. It's really the students themselves that sort of guide, you know, what the curriculum looks like, what the events look like, what the experience looks like. And my staff sort of tailors the curriculum and the activities around that. And ultimately, the goal is for them to be more self-sufficient, to to learn life skills, to learn about educational opportunities as well as vocational opportunities, and to have a very safe environment where they can bond with others. So, you know, it takes that sort of thought and you have to have all these different sort of entities work together in order to make it really, really work. We could not run this program the way we do without this really great partnership we have with the Pacific Grove Adult School and their principal, Barbara Martinez, who's just there every day, seeing what else that she can do to support the program. I mean, having partnerships like that really, really lead to success. And for me personally, you know, there's a couple of things that when I got here that this program particularly was one I was really I'm excited about seeing, you know, what I could do to sort of drive it and get more students in there and then later down the line, add more of these programs. And one of my nonprofit experiences, as I mentioned, was with residential foster care. And we had a non-public, we had a non-public school. So I was the administrator. And again, it was pulling together the school district, the county office of ed, parents when, you know, in some cases were available or, or some sort of guardian. And then our program really focusing on, on what the students needed, not looking at costs, not looking at restrictions, not looking at reasons that we couldn't get things done. It was more at looking at what we could get done between all of the entities I and mean, not necessarily putting a price point on that. And when you have good school districts and you have good offices of education supporting that, then we're supporting our students wherever they range in, in their development or wherever they range in terms of their neurodevelopment. So that's sort of what I brought to the table, as well as the fact you know, both my kids had IEPs from the time they were kindergarten through high school. And again, it was a little bit of a rough start in, in elementary, but both of them, by the time they got to high school, both of them had really supportive folks on their IEP team, very supportive teachers and very supportive administrators. And they just, they not only existed, they thrived through that. And that just sort of propelled them to their upper education. In fact, you know, my daughter now, she's an associate principal in charge of special education. So her, yeah, Mm -hmm. not only did she sort of have to live with the challenges that she had, she had very severe dyslexia, but she sort of knew what sort of bad (laughs) Bad right, sort of right. AP look like. 
look and like. She yeah. knew what good IEPs look like. And again, she kind of had a pair of parents who were wouldn't take no for an answer. So she sort of knows the experience that a parent can bring to the table. And I think she's very sensitive to that when parents come to her and say, you know, I need what's best for my student, right. my kid. And so she's very much sort of in line with the parents to make sure that they get what they need for their students. So I think Which, if you add all yeah. that dynamic up, it really it adds to success. Yeah, I mean, you know, for someone to have seen it inside out and as an associate director, you know, they would need to advocate on behalf of the student. It, it feels very adversarial mm-hmm. at times. And I'm curious on your perspective, having been in this nonprofit world and on that side of advocating for more, what are some of the trends that you're seeing within this kind of sector? More specifically, if you can, your experience with like school districts in really showing the support and reaching out to you as a nonprofit, or is that just not happening? I think it's the fact that we are in a county that uh, has been very proactive for students of all types, um, that that really helps. And again, where, where I live in the Santa Cruz County, all the school districts that my kids were involved with or, or that I was involved with have always been fairly proactive. Same when I worked in San Benito County, you know, we had good leaders that really understood that there's one, there's a regulation that you can either skirt around and, and minimally meet or you can own it, embrace it, and do the best for our young people. And luckily for me, the experience I've had have sort of been that, have not sort of been either adversarial <laughs> or have not been that type of, well, you know, we love to give these students everything that they need, but we just can't afford it. We can't mm-hmm. um, do that. But, and I think the things that what I experienced here in Monterey County is we have some really good visionary people thinking not only should we be doing right by these young people, you know, what more can we do to make sure that they are successful people within our communities? And what does that look like? And what can we do to support that um, way before a parent comes to the table and say, says, hey, I think I need these four to six things for my child. Mm-hmm. Uh, across the table are people sort of like, hey, we've been thinking about that anyway. How do we make mm-hmm. that work? But mm-hmm. it really, it really can't be adversarial in order to to function ultimately. And in my, I also believe you have to have leaders on all of those different aspects that really want to do the right thing and are sort of being visionary and cutting edge about. What can we do? Because ultimately, if everybody's all in, the students get what they want. There's right. no, there's nobody dragging their feet. And then ultimately, then you you stay out of the courts. You know, which ends up, to, in my opinion, costing the school districts more time and more money than if they would just comply and sort of be at the forefront of doing good by our students. Yeah. Well, I mean, we do see a number of cases where. The regional center can really come in and help and does provide a lot of support. But unfortunately, there's so many kiddos, especially in the state of California, that don't qualify for regional center services. So we are left with such a gap. You know, I've had a number of students where the Department of Rehab has come in and been able to provide some support, but like it's not consistent that I see. And a lot of times like those supports are for kiddos who are able to like access some type of a like post high school education program, whether it's a community college or whatnot, and they just need 
like access support and not necessarily like, hey, we're going to put you in like a full day program. So families are left with, okay, the school district is offering me basically one to two hours a day of a program, or I have to figure it out myself, which I mean, because we're a nonprofit, like we service a lot of low income families who, Mm -hmm. you know, they can't afford to, you know, go to private programs that would, you know, give them like, I don't want to say something to do during the day, but not only an educational experience, but an experience where they're either getting the job training or they're able to do extracurricular activities. So like, we just see such a gap. Like, I think even some of these college programs are more geared towards kids on the spectrum. And so we do see like, yes, that is a big population, but what about everybody else? And it's tough. Yeah. And I I think, again, that's where, and again, I've run across parents who have, you can see how exhausted they are by both the you know emotionally and all the energy they put into getting their child the tools that they need to succeed and then sort of going up against the wall all the time and it, it really is an energy zapper and all I could do for them is and keep encouraging them to, to keep being an advocate because eventually they're going to break through that wall and the other thing I think I'm seeing a lot of and I think our program is a really good example of that is that I'm thinking that our communities are less focusing on the disability and more focusing on what the capacity might be and what might be their potential. And I think that in our communities, it's very helpful when when we go to the table um, and try to do more programming or add new layers to our programming when the folks who we're talking to, the stakeholders, see that they're really... The folks that we care for or that we provide services for or education for are really going to be valuable valuable members of our community and should neither be dismissed nor should they be sort of discarded about their abilities. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, the students in our Without Walls program, they are some of the most brilliant people I've run across in, in all my time in nonprofits, which has been 36 years. I'm just blown away by their capacity to process things and to think things out of the sort of realm of things that I had ever think about. I love just going into that classroom and when they're discussing geography or where they're talking about a new technology, they go so deep into it. It's just amazing that, and all they need is opportunities to go there. All they need is opportunities to have other folks that they could share their thoughts with and, and build some synergy. And then with that success. Robert, if somebody had a question directly for you about the programming or just kind of your experience or your personal experience, where can they contact you? Yeah, the easiest way would be through email, which is R-F-R-E-I-R-I at gatewaycenter.org. Or I am on LinkedIn and on Twitter and Instagram. um, So they can tap me that way as well. But I'm, you know, I've been so blessed to have opportunities to run nonprofits over the years. And not only sort of make a difference in my communities, you know, with that comes your own sort of self, mm-hmm. self-development. self And so everything that, that I may have given, I've, you know, gotten back tenfold. So anytime I can support nonprofit folks or folks in the special education space, and mostly it's, it's an opinion, but if anybody wants my opinion, I, right. I'm willing to give it in any way I can. And the other thing about that is one of the things I get a little bit concerned about is our next generations of leaders, both in mm. 
nonprofit space and the education space. Having my daughter sort of go to that path is really comforting to me. And we need more folks like her who will sort of be driven to to do what's best for uh, the young people in our communities. I mean, it's just really tough now. The cost, you know, especially here in California, and you guys know this, the cost of living in California, almost everywhere, is really, really tough. And in the nonprofit space and in the educational space, unfortunately, we at this point don't have the capacity to give them what they deserve. So folks really are making choices, even if they're willing to work in in these environments, they still have to provide for their own family. So folks like me and others really have to step it up and, and figure out ways to to really support not only their their the professional development to give them successful places and, and work environments to work in, but also really understand that they can't care for our folks if they can't care for their own. So, you know, that's another thing that, that I'm trying to be an advocate for mm-hmm. at all levels, from the state level to the foundation level, is that we have um, a dwindling workforce. And, and those of us who have been doing it for a very long time aren't going to be doing it forever. We need more folks. And there are a ton of folks out there that are very altruistic, very giving, and are realistic about where they are in their communities and what they need for their families. And so we need to step it up. I mean, you're preaching to the choir here, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) Everything that we do as as a nonprofit and what you are doing as a nonprofit is because there is a lack of it, right, from the governmental standpoint. But being able to have these conversations and to, you know, empower that the next generation, which we've seen, especially with Gen Z in, in advocating on their own in different ways, right? Using social media, <laughs> you know, I'm confident in, in like seeing your daughter kind of going that way. Like I'm confident the work that, that you're doing is definitely showing that. And, you know, listeners, we hope that these conversations are helping you kind of reach to that point. Thank you so much, Robert, for coming on. And listeners, we'll Absolutely. talk to you next week. Bye. All right. Have a good day. Thank you for having me.